To Hebrews chapter 13, please. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We've got a little bit of extra staging today. You may have noticed they've obviously had a production here on at school. There's banners up. If you recognize what the banners are and which production they did, we will pray for you at the end. If you don't recognize them, then you're doing okay. Well done. All right, before we get into that today, I don't know if you've ever... Um, been involved in a marriage ceremony or that uh, whole process you may have been married yourself you may have had friends who are married you may have had children who got married you may have been involved in the ceremony you may have been a bridesmaid or a best man or an usher or one of these roles that you get um, at a wedding and I remember when um, my wife and I were getting married there was this whole kind of build-up to this wedding day and you're kind of dealing with these sort of big ideas, big themes about putting together your vows, which you make these great promises about till death do us part. And it's all these big themes and you do marriage prep and you're talking to people and people are praying for you. And all this stuff is kind of going on very high, very sort of like you're taking this responsibility seriously, you're getting married and it was quite a sort of oh, pressure. But then we got to the marriage day um, and I remember around that time, I remember talking to some of the guys in my life and they, they basically decided to give me some down-to-earth advice about marriage. You've got all these kind of big things you've got to do, but they wanted to give me some just practical things that they said. This is how, you know, you have all these, make all these promises, but let me boil it down to you. This is what you need to do to make it work. And they said, this is a selection of some of the things they said to me. One of them just looked at me and I and said, Stuart, buy flowers. That was it. It was just like, buy flowers. And I'm like, all right, okay, till death do us part, but I'll buy her flowers. She's not here. So I'll tell you, I'm excellent at that. Just um, the next one, one of the guys just looked at me and said, make sure you say sorry. He said, the six most important words that you can ever have in your marriage are, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I've actually not actually needed that as much as I thought, but that was some practical advice they gave me. I thought, okay, I'll remember that one. Another one said to me simply, love Jesus. If you want to make your marriage work, be someone who loves Jesus passionately, and then as a result, you'll love your wife. Another one pulled me to the side, and very, he had a kind of look in his eye when he said it to me, and he just said, Stuart, make sure you pick your underwear up off the floor. And I looked at him like that, and he said, and put the loo lid down when you've finished. And then he left in a kind of like, and I think, okay, I'll bear those in mind. And they were just some practical things, and I've tried to follow them mentally and obviously bear him out that I've done all of those throughout our marriage life, and uh, that's why we're closing on 17 years of marriage very soon. But we come to the end of Hebrews right now, and if you've been following along with us, we started back in, what, September? And we've gone through 12 chapters, and if you've been kind of getting into it, there's been some huge cosmic themes that the author's been writing about, massive eternal ideas about who Jesus is, and that he's better than these things, the old priesthood and the old covenant, and he's a better cleansing, and he's better than angels, and better than Moses, and better high priests, etc., etc. And he's laid these all out for 12 chapters, and as we saw at the last kind of last chapter or so, he sort of brought it down to just keep going, don't quit, keep running that race, follow the examples of, of the past in Hebrews 11 you keep going and it, last week we saw he's built on this unshakable kingdom that you are now a part of your faith won't shake because it's on a solid foundation 
you're going to be all right. And as we get to the final kind of chapter, which is what we're going to look at today, we're going to land the plane, finish Hebrews. He's basically rolling out a bunch of practical things. Just do this, do this, do this. But they're out of what's come before. So you can look at some of these things we're going to look at today and think they're almost like a a set of rules. If you do this, you do this, everything will be all right. But actually it's based on everything that's come before. Everything that you've learned about Jesus, everything you've seen of Jesus. As a result of that... Make sure these kind of things happen. So let's go to chapter 13 and we will read it through and then we'll kind of go through and unpack a few of the bits and pieces that come out of it. Verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among you, and let marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go, at, go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no, a lasting city, but we seek the one that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom being glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, and with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all the leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with you all. All right, big idea today. Knowing Jesus results in a transformed life which serves others. Knowing Jesus results in a transformed life that serves others. The author has been outlining kind of who Jesus is, how important he is, how much better he is than so many other things. And he's outlined about that we should worship him, we should follow him, we should keep going after him. And what he's basically doing now is outlining kind of what that looks like in practice. We've got all this stuff up here, yeah, we see it, we believe it. What does that mean for our life as we move forward? And there's a bunch of things, there's actually nine, okay, for those keeping score, and we're going to rattle through them as we finish out this passage and finish the book of Hebrews. First one, be loving. Be loving. It begins, let brotherly love continue. Implication, it's happening. He's saying basically keep going. That's a, there's a familial element to that. 
to love one another in the church. Be a family of believers who have a care and a love for others. If you love God, you will love other believers. You will have a connection with them. You will be concerned about them. You will love those. It's a mark of Christians which marks out is the love we have for one another. That's how you're, no my, you're my disciples, Jesus said, because you love one another and you see it. But actually it goes beyond that, it says. It's not just the church. It says actually you're going to love strangers. It says, do not to get neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. Strange kind of um, sort of language there. What's that all about? Well, in that culture, showing, giving someone lodgings to a traveler, someone who was coming through, was a great part of the culture. It was a great show of hospitality because if they went to stay in an inn, inns could be violent and dangerous places. So actually having someone in your home was a really good thing because it kept them out of that environment that was difficult. And you come into your home, you look after them, you show them hospitality, you give them bed, you give them board, and you, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And he said, actually, do not neglect that. Do not give up that. Keep going. Welcome. You love the family, you love them, but actually those outside the body doesn't kind of apply for us in quite the same way, but it's actually everyone outside the community. We should show a continual love for them as well. And the illusions are kind of um, the angels. You entertain angels. Well, there's a, if you go back to Genesis, there was a couple of incidents with Abraham and then Lot where they basically strangers turned up and they showed them hospitality. They were open to them and they turned out to be angelic messages for God. And so actually their simple acts of hospitality and care and love to these travelers turned out in messages from God and great blessings from God. And he's saying you as a people, you do that, you're opening up to what God can do in your life by loving those outside because you don't know who they are, what their purpose is, who's sent them there, who's behind them. So he says keep loving those strangers. And he moves on actually, he says, talks about remember those who are in prison, those who are mistreated. Now if we remember the story of Hebrews... He said some of the believers, some of the church had been in that situation. They'd lost property, some of them going to prison. We don't know exactly why, what it was. Maybe it was for following Jesus, proclaiming the gospel. Maybe it was, it was related to that and someone was just being vindictive towards them. But they'd been in that situation. He says, you know what it's like to be mistreated. You know what it's like to be on the outside. You know what it's like to be in prison. And their prisons were way worse than ours. I mean, ours can be bad enough. But their prisons were way worse. Actually, sometimes you had to actually go and feed the prisoners or they'd have nothing to eat. They relied on food from the outside. They wouldn't get provided for. And so actually remember those, serve those, love those who are in prison, care for them, have sympathy on them, think about them. And for us as a church, we, we have life groups, which Matt mentioned at the beginning, which are kind of key to how we do life in the church. We have a Sunday morning meeting here, which is great, but it's brief. It kind of inform, uh, sorry, it's more formal, a bit more impersonal just because of the numbers and we're growing. Actually, our life groups are our key places to be loving one another, key places to be showing hospitality to one another, great, but also involving those outside the group. And then as a group, then we can actually look and see those who are around us who are in need, who we should be serving, that we should be loving, that we should be looking towards and helping those things. If you're not involved in one of our groups, get in one of them. Get in one, get involved with the community, look to them, you know, and do it. Last night, we even last night, I was, with, um, I was at Wager Mansions with Charlie, and he fed us, looked after us. If Charlie ever invites you to dinner, go, it was good. You know, nine and a half out of ten, I'd say, you know. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, you know, I can't just give you ten, but you know. Do it. Get involved. Just love one another, share one another. Remember those outside your community. Keep going, church. The next thing he says is, verse four, be pure. Be pure. 
be pure. He starts talking about marriage. Let marriage be held in honor among you. Jewish culture, Christian culture, marriage is regarded as part of God's design. Back in Genesis 2, he is the author of it. It's not a man-made institution. It's a God-given institution. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll bring a woman. They'll become one together, one flesh, God said. He, he put that together. That's the order of the world. That was the building blocks of kind of his, his people was that they would be married. That's the place for children to come from. He says, hold it in high honor. It should be, be valued and highly prized amongst you as a church. You should be believers who kind of make sure that that is top. And he uses this image, let the, um, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Keep it pure, keep it holy. He uses these two phrases. He talks about sexually immoral and adulterous. What they basically do is they cover all the bases. The sexually immoral are those who engage in sexual relationships outside marriage. They're not married. The adulterous are those who engage in sexual relationships when they're married with someone else. So it basically covers everything because God's sexual ethic is all sexual relationships should happen in marriage between a husband and a wife, period. That's it. There's nothing else accepted, no other excuses. Everything else is sinful and should be rejected and fled from. And he says, actually, hold marriage in honor. Those who are married in the church, you, you do everything you can to help them, bless them. If you are married, you work on your marriage, you hold it in value and honor. That's not to denigrate singleness, but actually this is the way that sex would be worked in the sex-saturated culture which we live in and they lived in, for every culture is. Actually honor it, put it in the right place, value it. And as believers, we should have a sexual ethic that is greater than everyone else around us. The, the, the prevailing winds of our culture is basically pretty much anything goes, as long as you don't hurt someone, which is untenable in and of itself when you think about it. It has no internal logic to it. But actually, that's what we should be doing. He's saying, be pure, honor that. It should mark you as different, church, your attitude to sex. If you're involved in something that's outside of God's man is easy. Repent of it, flee from it. Find someone to help you, stand with you, walk with you through that, but get away from it. If you are married, talk to your spouse, work out how you guys are doing, where you are, where is it in temptation to guard your marriage. All of us as a community should be honoring and serving and loving those who are married to hold in honor because it helps us grow as a church and mature in God. Next one. Be content. He's dealt with sex. What comes straight after sex? There's big problems. Money. Right, dealt with sex. Be pure. What about money? He says, be content. Free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. He then throws in two quotes. The first one is either, they're not totally sure, it's either from Deuteronomy uh, 31 or Joshua 1, but it's basically, I will never leave you, forsake you. There's a promise of God, I'm always with you. I'm always with you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, I am with you. I am beside you. The presence of God will go with his people. Then he puts one underneath, which is from Psalm 118. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And effectively, what he's saying is God has got you. God is going to look out for you. God is going to care for you. He is your helper. He is the one beside you. He's never going to leave you. You're never going to be on your own, alone in this area. As a result, whatever situation you find yourself in, there is a godly contentment that can come with it. When the winds blow and the storms rage and things hit, God says, I'm with you. I will stand by you. And in the area of money, when we're facing pressure in that area, whether we have much or we have little or we're oscillating between the two because of the, the, the seasons of life go up and down and think pressures come along, whatever your situation is, God is going to be by you. God will stand with you. God will look out for you. God will make sure 
he, uh, he will care for you. And it says, the result is actually, I will not fear. I won't be afraid. I don't have any fear of the future in that level. And whether, you know, stocks and shares go up, they go down, whatever happens, God will ultimately be watching out for us. And we can take confidence in that. We're actually starting just after Easter, something to look forward to, invite your friends to. We're doing a, a series on money. Jesus on money, we're going to call it. We're looking at five or six weeks all about that area. I know you'll be really excited and looking forward to that one. So we're going to be covering some more of these questions in here. But maybe out of this one, you need to ask yourself some hard diagnostic questions about where you stand in the whole area of money. Are you content with what you've got? Content with the salary you've got? Content with the home you live in? Content with the car you drive? Clothes, etc., etc. Your standard of living. Look yourself in the, in the mirror and ask yourself some questions. Or are you driven by more? We need more. We need better. We need bigger. We need, we need, we need. Because the reality is everything in your life, materially speaking, money speaking, is going to end up in a landfill. Isn't it? You know, the newest whatever you've got is, is one day it's fodder for the dump. And so it's actually be content with what we are, not be driven by what is next. What is more, be content with what we've got, everything God's given us. And actually, it's not wrong to, to work hard and earn, but actually there's a contentment in coming with who we are and not a dissatisfaction with that. Number four, be loyal. Be loyal, verse 7. It says, remember your leaders. It says, remember, consider, imitate. Now, the tone of this verse in the context of the passage, what the commentator seems to are kind of agreeing on is it's talking about leaders kind of past leaders that these church had that are most likely passed on kind of they've died but they were there and they, they 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 were initial in kind of communicating the gospel to the church to the people there and so he's basically saying think back on those individuals that are kind of no longer with you no longer around and he says remember consider imitate so remember them think about them consider their life consider the achievement of their life of where they've gone and what they've done and then his, his, his charge to them is imitate them copy them look to them at the way they've lived their life have they followed the Lord their years however many it is decades on decades and imitate them. Be loyal to their teaching, to what they communicate, communicated to you about Jesus. And he immediately goes on there to make this statement, which kind of is a standalone statement that we love to quote. But in the context of it, it's basically the message he's, they've given them is an unchanging message. Because he just immediately says, verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, day, forever. The message that they brought you, the life they came in, is an unchanging message. Even though they've passed on, they're no longer around. The message that they brought doesn't change because Jesus doesn't change. And we can think, we transpose it to our own life 2,000 years later or so. The same message is the same message. We're preaching the same thing that they did. And Jesus isn't changing. So when we remember back to people in the past, people who communicated, who, who preached the gospel to you when you became a Christian? Who were the people in your life? Youth leaders, kids leaders, church leaders, parents, family, friends, whoever it was. Remember them, look back to them, imitate their life because the message they're proclaiming to you is an unchanging message of Jesus. And Jesus, obviously, we go back 12 chapters. That's who Jesus is. He doesn't change. And then he immediately says, well, don't be led astray. Don't be carried away. The, the image there is like uh, flowing in a river. 
Have you ever been to one of those kind of, uh, like the center parts where they have the, 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 the currents under the water where you can just float and they carry you down the river? It's great fun, but it actually doesn't require a lot of effort sometimes. You just kind of lie there. And he's saying, actually, don't drift. Don't be like that, kind of like just flopping around and get drifted away by all kinds of strange teachings that take you away from the unchanging message of who Jesus is. I remember growing up, someone said to me, only dead fish swim with the current. Don't get carried away. Don't be kind of on autopilot. Don't be on kind of drift mode where you're not actually actively thinking and working out your faith, where you get carried away by kind of strange doctrines and the latest thing that's coming on. And actually, he talks about our hearts need to be strengthened by grace as opposed to food. Food's a very much external thing that we eat, get physical strength, but actually, no, we need to be strengthened by the, the grace of God that's acting in our heart that only comes through Christ himself and what he did and his death on the cross and his life in us so we be loyal to their teaching we hold to what they brought this unchanging message of Jesus and we're supposed to remember the sacrifice of Christ and he talks about he alludes back with that whole thing about altars and camps and sacrifice to the day of atonement which we looked at I think when it was Jesus a better cleansing when we talked about the, um, the altar that the high priest would go in once a year to sprinkle the blood on the altar and the sacrifice that would happen so that we could be clean and actually we need to remember it's cr- through Christ alone that that happens. Not through external things but only through things. He's the one who makes us holy. And the references there are to that day of atonement where one of the, the sacrifice and thrown on the altar and the other one was taken outside the camp. The other, the other of the animals that they brought and represent that so we would be a holy people. We are to remember their sacrifice and, and follow their message. I had... Um, some sad news, just, I think it was yesterday, it was the day before, there was a, um, a couple who I had known from my old, old church, so it was last millennium, when I first met them, that we, we had walked alongside, and when I met them, I don't know how to say this nicely, I thought they were old. They had retired, but they are probably the early end of retirement, but I, I thought they were old, wise, and learned then. I found out yesterday that the wife of the couple just, literally just passed away, um, just on Saturday, um, and I found it kind of arresting in light of studying this passage. And actually, those uh, he was one of the elders um, in the church. She was responsible with him for the kids' work and done loads. And I were just, I've been dwelling over the last 24 or 48 hours on her life and her kind of her influence on me. She used to laugh and joke with me and um, pull my leg and all sorts of stuff. We had a lovely relationship. But I remember her just talking about because she'd always been well involved in kids' work for decades. Decades and decades she worked in kids' work. I remember conversations we'd have with her where she would talk about some of her children that she had taught in kids' work and what they were doing. And her and her husband had this almost little funny joke of who they'd trained when they were four and five-year-olds. And we'd go to kind of conferences and we'd see other church leaders from the movement and they'd nudge me and said, oh yeah, I remember him from kids' work. That was a right pain in the bum. And he's standing out the front leading worship or he's prophesying, or they're, they're on a church plant, or going to moving to another nation to get involved in serving the poor, or whatever it is. And they always make this little list of actually, we invested in their lives, and it is bearing fruit in eternity, multiplied over and over and over. And they would joke about the numbers of church leaders who came for their kids' work. And they'd always have stories about the snot coming down the face, and the tantrums dead, uh, and now they are just striving on with God and I was just aware of her life and thinking God if I can have that kind of kingdom impact that she and her husband had I think I'm doing all right 
in your kingdom. And I remembered her and I think, God, I want to imitate her faith when I am that age and still be going after you. Remember, be loyal to their teaching and what they're going. Number five, be bold. Be bold. Verse 13, therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach. This is this image from the Day of Atonement where one of the animals was taken outside the camp and burnt. And this image of being outside the camp is an image of cursing, being cursed, being removed from the fellowship of God's people. And it's been likened that to Christ. Christ was that one who was separated from God when he died on the cross. He was the one who bore that punishment. And we as his followers are to be bold in declaring his good news, even if it means mistreatment. The, uh, the Hebrews, some of them had already had that. They'd gone to prison, so some of their property had been taken. Don't know exactly what that meant, but that sounds like a real hardship that they had faced. But he says, be bold in declaring the message. Be prepared to go outside the camp to the place that is outside your comfort zone, outside where it's easy, and you get mistreated. You, you put yourself in the line of fire because of what you believe and what you believe about Jesus, and you're prepared not to compromise on what you think about sexual ethics, what you think about the message of Jesus, that he is unchanging, he is the only way to salvation. Be prepared to be bold. Be prepared to live differently. Be prepared to stand up in the face of opposition. When the world says this, you say no. We won't do it that way. We don't believe. We believe this is the truth. This is right. Jesus is the one we should worship. He is the king of everything and he's got the final say. And if he says it's good, then it's good. And if he says it's bad, it's bad. And we honor that above everything. And we're to be bold in proclaiming that. And we're to be stand firm and hold on to that truth and not give way for anything. Why? Because it says we have a lasting city. And we looked about it last time with the, the kingdom to come that's unshakable. We're not living for this world and everything that is temporary. Everything we see here will one day just be torn up and thrown away, burnt in fire, everything. But actually there's beyond that, there's a kingdom we're living for which cannot be shaken. And our eyes and our focus need to be on that. And we need to be living for that. And regardless of what happens in this life, to our health, to our property, to our reputation, that we're to be bold and follow Jesus regardless because he suffered the ultimate reproach and he was totally innocent. And he was cursed and hung on a tree and we're to be bold in following him. Number six, be worshipful. Be worshipful. This image of sacrifice continues. And it says in verse 15, it says, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. No longer animals was the Old Testament covenant. We now have our sacrifice is our praise to God. And it basically defines it in two ways, words and deed. The fruit of our lips, but also our actions. So we are to be worshipful in how we speak, what we talk about. We've had a crack at it this morning, singing and praising and proclaiming God and honor. And we'll come back to that and we're going to do a bit more of that. Singing out his praises, which is good and right. But in prayer, we are to pray and be acknowledging of him, be worshipful of him, how we speak about others, be honoring to God as well as them. This should be a, an act of worship in that and how we communicate about the people around us, our work and everything, and the, and the fruit of our lips. Also, our actions and everything else that happens there. Everything that's going on, that our actions should line up with what we say, line up with what we believe. And, and we've, they, he's already mentioned it in terms of 
you know, hospitality actions and, and uh, the strangers and the mistreated and just being kind of proactive in that. Even in what we, we sent out a text about the food bank, some of you already kind of exhibited that in actually, okay, let's just let be loving in actions and give and do that. So we need to be a worshipping people. I know last week we had the album of the month. We had the giveaway. Some of you got one. Brilliant. It's on our email if you want some new things to praise, to keep going in that, get yourself that. We bought an album um, we put in the car, and it, it's just on, and the kids love it, and so we basically try and rotate them around and do it, and they have their favorite songs, and they learn it. But actually, it's great to train yourself to think, what are you feeding on? What are you listening to? Because what comes in, what goes in comes out, and we're going to be praising people. So get some good worship stuff, and you'll be a praising, worshiping people. Number seven, be obedient. Okay, just... Just so you know, we preached through nearly 13 chapters of Hebrews. It's taken us however many months. It was all for this verse, I'm just saying. It was all, this was, this was, this was it. When I sat down and thought, what, God, what do you want me to preach through? What do you want me to train your church? And he said, you know what, if you go through all through the whole verses of Hebrews, you get to a really good bit at the end. And it says, number seven, be obedient. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Oh. That was one should go on coffee cups, shouldn't it? And just, and just, uh, just you know, tea towels and stuff like that. No, I'm just joking. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm just joking. Obey. Put your trust in them. Submit just to yield to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Does let them do this with joy and not with grumbling, for that would be of no advantage to you. The reality is those who are appointed leaders in God's church, and there's the, there's the, the leader and there's the, the broad sense of those who are in leadership in the church, is a God-given, God-given responsibility. And they will have to give an account one day for how they've led and how they've cared for those um, under them. And that goes from the smallest to our kids workers out there all the way up to those who are in final responsibility in the church, uh, church and responsible for all you guys. Um, there is a great thing. And I know I've worked with leaders in many churches and they are diligent and tireless in their work. They are devoted to you and they're devoted to what they're doing. And, and they love you or they are for you and they want to do it. And our response as those who are in leadership, uh, sorry, those who are under leadership is to respond in a way that is good for them. Because it says, it says it's great. It says, don't, don't make them moan about their job. You know, don't make them be someone who has to moan about the church. Groan because your hard work to, to lead, your hard work uh, to follow. Because that's, it says that's no advantage to them, to you. We're to honor those in leadership. And in a culture where we love to shred our leaders and anyone in authority, they are just like punching bags for us. We moan about them constantly in every possible way and pull them down. And they're not perfect. Yes, they make mistakes. But we, we, we just enjoy it as sport to be cynical about our leaders and to dishonor them in every possible way. In the church, it needs to be different. It needs to be different. We don't worship our leaders, but there is an honor that must come upon them as leaders. We, we honor those. We, we value this. And that goes all the way through the church. When you go and pick your kids up, in a moment, the question is, are you going to honor the kids' leaders who've given up being in here listening to me? I mean, they've given that up, and they do that week in, week out. That's one of the biggest sacrifices in this church, is that they give up listening to me so they can go and serve our kids. Are you going to go and honor them? Your small group leaders 
who don't have much kind of, they're very much behind the scenes, so they don't have a kind of a role on a Sunday, but they're serving you out there. I know one of the small group leaders, some people in the small group came to me this week and just said, I just want to tell you how awesome our small group leaders are. And I was like, that is fantastic to hear. Have you told them? <laughs> tell them. But I went and told them as well. Honor our leaders. Speak well of them. Whatever position you find yourself in, honor those who are above you. Do everything you can to, to make their life easier. Obviously, that doesn't mean if they're sinful, you have to point that out. But actually, in a general way, we want to honor our leaders, speak well of them, do well of them, uh, and encourage them in everything they do. And ultimately, we are to obey them if they're leading us in a godly way. If they're saying this is the way it is. We go and say, yes, we're behind you. We are for you. Number, four, uh, number eight, be prayerful. Be prayerful. He's done all these things. And then he says in verse 8, he says, Pray for us, the author says, for we're sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things as their hearts, by urging you more honestly to, uh, earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you soon. They desire prayer. Be prayerful people. Pray for one another. There's a leader, a guy who's away from the church. You're not quite sure who he is with Hebrews. Some of the other letters is a bit more obvious. But he's saying, pray. I need your prayers. If you're a praying person... It means you value prayer. You recognize its importance. And obviously he does. And as a church, we are to be a praying people. I read this morning Matthew 6. I'm going through the Gospel of Matthew. I got to Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said in his words, when you pray. And I had some notes that went with it. And basically it says a prayerless Christian is almost an oxymoron. It doesn't work. You can't be a prayerless Christian. If you're a Christian, you have to pray. You said when you pray. We need to be a praying people. Because prayer has great power and great uh, authority and it's valuable to us. And we do it and God changes situations and we get changed. So we need to be a praying people. Pray for those around you. Pray for those people in your small group. Pray for the church. Pray for us as leaders. We need your prayer. We cover your prayer. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. Pray for your friends. Pray for everyone. Be a praying people. And do it and do it and do it. And don't ever quit. Guess what's happening on Tuesday? Prayer meeting. Ah, it's almost like I planned it. It's almost like I planned it. Come and pray with us. We're praying for the church. We're praying for things that are going on. Come and meet with us. We'll meet with God together. Pray for that. And then what he does is interesting. He says, pray. Pray for me. Pray for one another. Very important. And then he actually prays. That's always good, isn't it? We like to talk about prayer. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then he actually he prays. Which I thought, well, that's revolutionary, isn't it? Not only are we going to talk about it, he's actually prays. And he says, now may the God of peace, who brought you again from the dead, because we were dead in our sins. And Jesus was dead and he rose from death, so we rise with him. The great shepherd of the sheep. He's the one who leads us. He's the one who guided by the blood of the eternal covenant. That's what he's been talking about for, for, for all those chapters. This is what God's done. He's brought us into this covenant by his shed blood that it's going to last forever. And we're now clean before God and we're holy. He says, he'll equip you. With everything good that you may do his will. There's all these good deeds he's been talking about. Actually, he's praying for them. Pray for one another. The list of things we've got so far, just pray that in for people. That they would be able to do those things. Be obedient to their leaders. To be content with what they've got. Be pure in sexual things. To be loving and hospitable, etc., etc. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. It, that we can do that. That everything will be pleasing in his sight. That ultimately we'll be able to live a life that honors God. And the last one, let's finish this. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. I love that what he says here. This is brilliant. I appeal to you, brothers, 
bear with my word of exhortation. Exhortation is just a strong encouragement, not just encouragement, a strong one. For I've written to you briefly. There's 13 chapters there of deep stuff. If someone said, I'm going to drop you a brief email and I open it and it's just, you're scrolling down and it's just, that's not a brief email. That, that's not a brief word, but it's a brief word of exhortation. I'll be interested to see what his long word of exhortation is. But the whole point is to encourage them to say, keep going. Keep going in what you're doing. He, he brings people to mind like Timothy is named. Particularly if we read the rest of the Bible, there's, there's some epistles written to Timothy, the same character there, who's a kind of a leader in the early church. But there's obviously a connection there between all these people, those who come from Italy are mentioned, but there's obviously a connection in what they're doing, even though they are far from them, a relationship there, which is brilliant. He says, be encouraged in what you're doing. Keep going in what you're doing. Keep following. They've obviously faced some hardship um, in the church there and what they're facing and, and life hasn't been easy following Jesus but he's saying be encouraged dwell on everything that has gone before in all those previous chapters and as we kind of finish out land this plane I want to encourage you church I want to encourage you just to keep going after Jesus Jesus is better than everything that's what we kind of called the series and we've gone through some specific things, but you could add anything else you want in there. Jesus is better. And as believers and as a church going forward, I want you just to remember that and say, whatever comes your way, whatever pressure, whatever temptation, whatever the world says you've got to do, remember Jesus is better. And keep going after him first and foremost. And trust him. When he says, don't do that, don't go near there, be careful of that, there were warning after warning, wasn't there, through the letter of Hebrews that came up. And they're meant to bring us up short, those warnings. He says, because what's happened is bad. Stay away from it. Stay away from the edge. Because if you go over, you're going to do damage to yourself. You're going to shipwreck yourself. It's going to go horribly wrong. Stay away from that. Stay close to Jesus. He doesn't change. He is your great eternal high priest. He is your great cleansing. So you're now holy and righteous. He has brought you into a kingdom which is unshakable. We have an eternal covenant with God that lasts forever. We have got those saints of old who are watching and cheering us on and saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. Throw everything off that gets in your way. Everything in your life that will hold you back. The sin, the problems, get rid of them. Get out of the way and go after him totally. Don't quit. Keep going. Can we do that, church? Amen. Do you want to stand up? And we're just going to finish. I'm going to pray for you because we're going to be a praying people. And I, I kind of, the way the letter ends, I sort of bombarded you there. There's nine things. And the way this kind of thing works, my experience, the way kind of, God seems to work is there'll be one or two that has just has pushed on something in your heart or God's reminded you of something and said oh yeah about this thing or maybe there's something you need to deal with you know there's that thing you need to kind of get right with God and I'm going to pray and I want you to bring before God whatever that is for you and I don't know what it is you know because God's reminding you about it now and you're going around in your head and you're probably having an internal monologue where you're saying no no and you're trying to justify it don't Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And I'm just going to pray for him. There might be some things you need to repent of. Say, nope, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to seek forgiveness. I'm going to go off away. There might be things you just know you need to start doing. 
God's presence that actually I feel, I feel an urge, a spur to start doing something, to get involved in something, to invite some people to the house, to go over here and just love and serve these people over here or whatever it is. I'm just going to pray that God earths that in you today, that there will be an effect. And as we kind of leave the book of Hebrews sort of in this sense and move on, I'm going to pray for a deposit for us that will indelibly mark us as we move forward as a church. We've got Mother's Day next week and then we're on into Easter and, and so forth. But actually there's something about what God has brought to us that holds us. So maybe you want to close your eyes. Open up your hands like you're going to receive something because God's got stuff for you today. If you're here in this building and you're listening to me, God's got something for you because that's why he brought you here. <laughs> I want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for this great book that you wrote to the Hebrew Christians. I want to thank you for that message that you've just compounding us with, that you are just better. You are just better. I want to thank you that you are, right at the beginning of the book, you are that great eternal God who holds everything together. You are the exact imprint of your Father in heaven. You are the great one. Lord, I want to thank you that you came to earth, you died for our sins, you rose from death. And through that magnificent sacrifice, you transformed everything. We have been taken from death to life in you. We have a great high priest who will never finish his office. We have a great covenant that is eternal. We've been completely cleansed by your sacrifice that we can now stand before you holy and righteous. It says, come boldly before my throne, God says. We thank you that you are unchanging. So this great agreement we have, this covenant, is never going to change. It's not going to be like you're going to change your mind or anything. God, you're not. We thank you that we have an unshakable kingdom that we are a part of. We have an everlasting city that we are looking ahead to, that we are part of. A great joyful celebration that we are connected with saints of old who've passed on right back to the beginning, who are standing there cheering us on saying, keep going, keep going, don't quit. Lord, thank you we have a rock-solid foundation in you that never will fall apart, never let us down. Lord God, and I pray for today as you've spoken to us as your people and we've rounded out this book, Lord. I pray you give us grace to keep following you. Give us grace to keep following after you. Lord, if there's things in our lives that we need to deal with, we know what they are, things we might need to repent of and put right, Lord, I should give us grace to do that now. If you've got a moment, do that now. Just name it, confess it, say I'm sorry turn away, seek forgiveness and follow Jesus if you've done that or you're doing that I urge you to tell someone at the end just, to, just so you've kind of become accountable and brought it into the community, if you're there and you're thinking there's things I need to do, I feel a prompt, I feel an urge I need to start doing something, I want to do something I pray God for grace and boldness and courage to do that to keep going in you and to, to, to step out into new things, to get connected, even if it's to kind of come into the church or get connected to one of our groups or whatever it is, God. We pray for grace for that. Lord, and I want to say we love you as a people. We love serving you. We're going to worship you now with our lips. Lord God, make us a worshiping people. Make us a worshiping people in actions as well as we leave this place and go out into our homes. Lord, we want to say we love you. We praise you. And God's people said, Amen.